What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Crimson Gaming Corner, your one-stop shop for everything gaming happening here at the University of Utah. I am your host, Jackson Day, and today I am joined by Zach, our first University of Utah guest yes. who writes for The Chronicle. So, yeah, Zach, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, you kind of stole my thunder there because I was going to say that I write for The Chronicle, but okay. uh, not just any writer at The Chronicle. I'm an arts writer at The Chronicle, so I do like reviews of uh, all kinds of medias. Like most recently, I just did like a dance gala uh, review. <laughs> and I also run my own podcast called Get In Loser. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically wherever podcasts are found. Uh, as a co-writer, a producer, and an editor. So th that's kind of me. Yeah, cool. I'm a man of many trades. What's the um, Get In Loser podcast? If you had to give like a sentence, little get people into it, what would you kind of say? Uh, so basically it's about two broke college girls uh, from the suburbs of Utah trying to find adventures in their backyard. And then they just kind of like come onto the podcast and present those adventures. Uh, they select a topic every single month to see what adventures go when so like uh i think this past episode it was uh haunted and abandoned places mm. so i've yeah. heard there are a ton of those in salt lake actually mm -hmm. of like creepy little locations i think there's i don't remember the location but i've driven by it and it's like this old daycare that's like oh, what it, it looks creepy i don't know where it is but mm -hmm. yeah there are a decent amount of those <laughs> yeah i mean uh we try to go to the Rio Grande, uh, which is supposed to be like one of the most haunted spots in Salt Lake. But uh, there were way too many homeless pe people. And I'm pretty sure that there was a crime scene going on. So surprising. <laughs> yeah, there, there might be another ghost at the depot. So <laughs> just to check out. All right, Zach. And yeah, tell me a little bit about your gaming history. What kind of consoles you own? What do you play and stuff like that? Okay. Well, uh, my gaming history started uh, back in 2005 with the Nintendo Wii. Finally, another first time we played. <laughs> yeah, and then I migrated to Xbox, and I played Minecraft and a lot of shooters there. And then now I'm on PC. I am a PC master racer, and I just basically play a whole bunch of shooters just to, like, numb my mind for a little bit. Yeah, that's actually really smart. That's I find myself doing that as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think. I just don't have the time anymore for like big RPGs or whatever. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard. It's nice to just kind of hop into like shooters where they're either shorter campaigns or just multiplayer shooters mm -hmm. where like it's only 10 minute at most matches. Mm -hmm. um, I did that the other night with like Overwatch where I was like, I just, I don't, I want to play something, but I don't want to get into a big game because I mean, Ragnarok comes out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Way too excited. No, and I can tell. I don't know. I just I want something to numb the mind, maybe put in like music or a podcast. And so I was like, Overwatch is the way to go. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I completely understand that. Sometimes you just need like a mind numbing shooter to like shoot the bad guys or shoot the other team and just kind of mellow out for a bit. Mm -hmm. You get that ADHD <laughs> stimulus. Yes. It's kind of how it goes. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Final Fantasy 16's lack of diversity. What makes horror games horror? And a deep dive into Bioshock, which I believe is your favorite game. Indeed it okay, is. Sweet. I'm excited for that. And I have a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that, a little bit of housekeeping for everybody. This is the Crimson Gaming Corner, where we chat with random guests like you to recap the gaming news and events you might have missed, as well as talk about some of our favorite games. Wow, uh, tell me more. <laughs> 
Well, for sure. You can find this podcast on all our favorite podcasting sites, uh, <gasps> except for Apple Podcasts. Oh. You beat me to that with getting loser. I don't know. Ha. Something's weird with Apple right now. Uh, we're working with them about it. I 100% understand that. It took so long for me to get Apple Podcasts yeah. working. Yeah, Apple just loves to be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I um, mean, that's not really a surprise. To okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah th thanks, Tim Apple, Steve Jobs. <laughs> Tim Apple. Yeah, Tim Apple. Um, in the meantime, though, while we work with Apple, make sure to follow us on Instagram at the dot geek wave, Twitter at the underscore geek wave and TikTok at the geek wave to stay up to date with everything we're doing. We just had a couple of great TikToks come out uh, that were Halloween based. Myrie went around campus and asked people about their favorite horror games, checked out some cool costumes. We've got Parker as well, who just did a quick little review of Wendell and Wild, which is the latest stop motion film on Netflix. Uh, I believe Jordan Peele had a big emphasis on it and I love his stuff, so I made sure to check that out. Um, if you wanna kind of know whether or not it's for you, make sure to check that out on our Instagram reels and on TikTok. And yeah, if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast for a future episode, you want to talk about a specific game, or if you have any questions you want us to answer, you can either email me at j.day at ustudentmedia.com, or you can DM me on Discord at awesomejacks. Uh, numbers are 9821 for that. Um, and we still have that Discord server that is up with specific channels for questions or recommendations or whether or not you'd be want to be on the podcast. Um, so if you're interested in that, make sure to join. I'll have the invite link in the description for that. Um, now to kind of talk about some on-campus events and information coming out, we've got a ton, so buckle up. We've got Adam, who he's a big name guy in EAE. He's one of the heads there. He has been doing some game career workshops. We talked about this a little bit last episode with the resumes, um, where we kind of went through three of our favorite things um, from that. And he's continuing on where he's going to have a deep dive on portfolios. That's going to be on, or yeah, that's going to be on Friday, November 11th at 1 p.m. He's got career uh, frequently asked questions. That's going to be on Friday the 18th at 11 a.m. He's going to have another resumes one on Wednesday, November 23rd at 12 p.m. Portfolios again, uh, Wednesday 11 or yeah, Wednesday, November 30th at 12 p.m. And then another career frequently asked questions that's gonna be on December 7th at 12 p.m. All of these are just gonna be Zooms or Zoom meetings. So make sure to find those invites in your email. And then also we have a ton of summer 2023 internship opportunities. So if you are graduating or if you're still a couple of years in and just want the experience, make sure to jump on these as soon as you can. These are great ways to get experience in the industry, great for resumes and so on. So we've got Epic Games has about 50 available. EA has about 50 available. Riot Games has about three dozen available. Respawn has over a dozen. Nintendo of America, Insomniac Games, Ubisoft, which I believe Ubisoft is the only one that has remote internships. So mm -hmm. if you're interested in that, please go check that out. Or if you speak French, because they have French offices. Yes, so. if you speak French, that might actually get you a couple more bonus points. So you could mm -hmm. do a lot for them. Oh, you definitely could. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you guys are interested, make sure you got your portfolios and your resume is ready. Jump on those as soon as you can. And you can never apply to too little. Worst case scenario, you have to turn them down. Mm -hmm. So if needs be, apply to all of them and then pick whichever one you like most. And continuing on, uh, Crimson Gaming is going to have a Pokemon themed party, which I believe will be coming out with the game. I'm not sure about that. Um, that's gonna be November 18th 
Uh, that's going to be an SFEVB 130, which do you know what building that is? I do not. I just learned this and then I forgot. Yeah, I'm, I'm new <coughs> around here. I'm a transfer yeah. student. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be, yeah, there at 530. Details are going to be announced soon, but hey, bring your switches, bring your new copies of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet and just kind of hang out with some other Pokemon fans. Mm -hmm. Um. Another thing, we have a couple of like just cool opportunities, meetings, lectures, and stuff to check out. Uh, first off, we've got a real-time 3D in the industry. That's with Unity. Um, that's going to be Wednesday, November 16th at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, more details will be coming soon. It'll be by Thomas Winkley, who is the Senior Technical Marketing Advocate at Unity. Um, he'll kind of talk about how tools like Unity can be used in the games industry as well as beyond. So if you're interested in that, add that to your calendars. Uh, Blizzard Entertainment's World of Warcraft uh, development teams and ABK Early Careers team, which I'm going to be honest, I don't know much about that, but they are going to have their 12th annual World of Warcraft student art contest. Um, they'll be calling all college and university students to share your creative vision, work on something, and hopefully you get to win some pretty cool prizes. I know they've got some cool stuff about that. Um, you'll also be able to hear from Rachel Myrie, who's the art manager, on what it's like working on the World of Warcraft franchise inside Blizzard and just how that works in the actual industry. Um, details and past winners can be viewed on the contest page and that's, going to, that's already open and it will be closed January 29th of next year. So make sure to put those in as soon as you can. We also have a programming and tech art fireside chat. That's gonna be with Santa Monica Studio. Yes, the developers of Ragnarok. So if you wanna to talk to them about this apparently amazing game, make sure to mark your calendars for Monday, November 21st at 11 a.m. Um, in this casual session, you'll be talking with some of the programming managers as well as Amy Christi Cristianto. I miss, if I mispronounced that, I apologize. She is the recruiting specialist and so you can learn more about what they kind of look for in applications, uh, hard skills to put on your resume, personality in your cover letter, and just, like I said, get some more kind of questions answered about working in the industry. So check out for that. Are you going to be going to that? Because it's the Ragnarok oh, developers. Sure. For sure. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't miss it for the world. I, I feel like not. Santa Monica Studios and probably Naughty Dog are the two companies that I want to work for probably the most. Mm. Um, just because I love their games and the little like behind the scenes documentaries that they do mm -hmm. really put into perspective how game industry works. And at least if that's how it, if the way they recorded it is how it actually works, which probably is not the case, it seems like a fun environment to work mm -hmm. in. So we'll see. Um, on the esports side, our Valorant team has been killing it. They put they got into the college Valorant playoffs by going 13 and 8 in Haven and 13 and four in Pearl, which Haven and Pearl are the maps. I'm still really new to Valorant, but I promise I'll get a hang of how to announce these uh, soon. Um, they beat the University of Pacific 2-0 in these, which put them in the playoffs. So make sure to check out those. Uh, the Rainbow Six team also had a really strong win going two and one against UCSB, which took about four hours. So props to them for sticking through it and coming out on top. Really proud of you guys. Finally, the Overwatch team unfortunately lost one and two against UCI, but with the game being so new and the comp, at least watching Overwatch League, kind of being stale, not gonna lie, uh, <laughs> hopefully we can find our winning strategy soon and get a hang of that. 
Now kind of going on to our first section, news. We're gonna be going into, first of all, Final Fantasy 16's lack of diversity. So Zach, wanna kind of hear, do you have any experience with Final Fantasy games or anything like that? You know, personally, I don't. I have uh, played the NES version of the like the first Final Fantasy because um, I got like this little uh, NES box for Christmas with like a bunch of emulator the games. NES Mini, right? Yes, okay. it is. Yes, I have the SNES Mini. Mm-hmm. So. And I've had a lot of friends who played Seven, mm-hmm. like the original Seven, not like the remake. But um, I don't have very much experience with that, so this is kind of new to me. But when I read it, I was like, Eesh. yeah. That's the correct reaction. (laughs) (laughs) So basically what ended up happening was IGN sat down with the producer Naoki Toshida. Yeah, Naoki Toshida. um, And asked him a bunch of questions. And props to this IGN reporter who had the audacity to ask the real questions that we should be asking. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, they asked, what's the deal with the lack of diversity in this Final Fantasy 16, specifically in the trailer, but also in the rest of the game, and if there was plans to have uh, characters of color and stuff like that. And he had a pretty bullshit answer. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, To (laughs) quote, he kind of said, Valistia, I'm assuming that's the setting. Um, so it's going to be some weird pronunciation. Yeah, it's like some weird fantasy name. Like yeah, exactly. Poke door or something. <laughs> um, he said that this location was never going to be realistically as diverse as, say, a modern day Earth or even Final Fantasy XIV. Ultimately, we felt that while incorporating ethnic diversity into Valestia was important, an over-incorporation into the single corner of a much larger world could end up causing a violation of those narrative boundaries we originally set for ourselves. He continued on saying, the story we are telling is fantasy, yes, but it is also rooted in reality. Well, first of all, with reality, like, um, and they're basing a lot of uh, Valestia or Valethia um, on uh, mid- medieval Europe. And if you're talking about like Northern medieval Europe, like England, or maybe like Northern France, like Normandy or something like that, sure, I can kind of get that. But they're forgetting about that the Roman Empire was a thing, especially in like the Mediterranean area. Yeah. So there was a, a large amount of diversity in a lot of countries. So like France, exactly. Germany, uh, Italy, like all of those like major kingdom places. Uh, Spain was extremely Islamic for a long time that you had a lot of people coming up from North Africa, kind of like Egypt, Morocco area. Um, there was a lot of people of color. Yeah, which kind of just leads to all this thing, just kind of being covering their own ass of like, they forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And now they're like, what's the best way we can come up with an excuse mm-hmm. for this? I also think that they're just being lazy because if, from what I've heard, Final Fantasy has been extremely uh, lazy with customer, customer, uh, <laughs> character customization. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, and they only have like one or two options per person or per class or per race. I, again, I haven't yeah. played the game, but I know that that is a major frustration of my weep friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a big thing with just Japanese games in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I know with like Nintendo, for example, they're really bad about, I think they only have like two african-american hairstyles one being like kind of buzz cut and the other just being an afro mm-hmm. and like that's it um and that's it's shared with a lot of jrp or like japanese games like that mm-hmm. even across the industry it's bad but we're starting to see some improvements and 
it seems Japan is, if anything, taking a couple steps back. Because I was surprised to hear about this because like Final Fantasy XIV Final at least has a decent amount of characters of color. And Final Fantasy VII had one of the, I would argue, and once again, I'm white ass person. Like, I wouldn't know. <laughs> but Barrett from Final Fantasy VII, despite some cringy dialogue at moments, was a really good depiction of an African-American um, character who was dealing with like the systemic oppression and like actually had some good things to say about that. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of confused why I guess they're taking a step back from this. Yeah, and another thing that I don't get is that it's fantasy. I know that they're trying to like blow it off as like, oh, we're trying to you know, yeah. be realistic with it or whatever. But no, it, at the end of the day, you're, it's fantasy. You can make it whatever you want to. You're, it's your job as a gaming company to cater to the customers as much as humanly possible. Yeah. And a large portion of that uh, of those customers are African-American mm -hmm. or uh, people of color, I should yeah. say. Because, but, so if you don't have that uh, represented in your game, there's gonna be a large audience that are not gonna like it or at mm -hmm. least gonna feel underrepresented. Yeah, the whole argument about fantasy, I mean, look at House of the Dragon. I don't know if you've been watching that, but like there's a lot of different kingdoms that are African-American. Um, I don't remember the exact names, but like mm. they're depicted very well. And it's not like one of the arguments it says is like, we don't want to, what was it? An over incorporation into the single corner of a much larger world sort of deal. I don't know. I don't feel like you need to make race such an important thing. In mm -hmm. House of the Dragon, it float like, it's not like he called or George R. R. Martin and the producers like called out, you know, this kingdom is black born. They were not going to call out the systemic oppression because this is a fantasy world. Racism is not as important in a fantasy world where it's created mm -hmm. than in our world today. And so if you wanted to, you can certainly call out that, but mm -hmm. you don't need to. And just having those characters in is better than this bullshit excuse. Mm -hmm. So uh, a fantasy world that I feel like incorporated, uh, at least different races. I don't want to say uh, people of color because that would get me in trouble. But Skyrim does that. Oh yeah, very well for sure. Just because like it incorporates a lot of like actual real life um, prejudices. Like um, the dark elves are extremely uh, like oppressed by mm -hmm. uh, what was the Ulfric regime? I forget I the name. I haven't actually. I've played very little of Skyrim. Really? So wow, I just really... didn't. I. I played it after playing Breath of the Wild, oh, okay. and I feel like that kind of like ruined the experience mm -hmm. for me. So, but yeah, I get, I get yeah. what you're trying to say. And so like, it's not, it, it's not exactly like a racial inclusion, but it's definitely like representation yeah. of that. It's not... a depiction of oppression sort mm -hmm. of deal, and that fantasy world chose to deal with that, whereas like, a, I mean, a lot of fantasy doesn't necessarily choose to deal with that, but. Mm -hmm they still can include the characters and be able to include that sort of... Well, at least talk about real-life subject matter right. that, that is important. Yeah. Uh, maybe not with um, African-Americans or Native Americans, or, like, directly, but they can actually, I guess, have it rhyme yeah. with other races inside yes, their right. story. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um but that, But then again, take that with a grain of salt as a, a straight white male. I don't know anything. So. Yeah. I'm That's a white apologist. I... Please don't neuter me. <laughs> yeah, this is coming off of two white guys. So if you're mm -hmm. saying anything wrong, we apologize. Just at the end of the day, be better. Like, especially. <laughs> <laughs> Do better. I don't know. Be a man. Like, 
for all of us upcoming games developers, it's really not that hard to at least put in some representation and mm -hmm. not have to make it a big deal. Um, so yeah, just be better. <laughs> yeah, do better games, do better. okay? Um, so going on to our second and final news story of the day, um, Nibel is leaving or has left Twitter due to kind of a lack of compensation as well as the current state of Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, Nibel was basically, he was, at least for me, my go-to news Twitter account. Um, he was really good about recapping like showcases or being really quick about posting about uh, like news and stuff like that. And he tried to start a Patreon a couple months ago because he wanted to do this kind of full-time um, mm. or at least do it with a little bit of compensation. <laughs> and he ended up, it didn't work out for him. He <laughs> reported and basically kind of saying, uh, unfortunately, I was not able to create an interesting and sustainable Patreon, which is evident in the number of Patreons uh, or patrons stagnating during the first weekend and the first of many pledges being deleted during the first week. Uh, I have miscalculated the value of my Twitter activity and realized that it is nothing worth supporting by itself for the vast majority of people. It is not me who is popular, but the work that is useful uh, it is not valuable by itself, but a comfortable time saver, and I get that now. Hmm. Which That's unfortunate. It is unfortunate, and it is true, but at the same time, like, mm -hmm. if, you know, I bet if he comes back, I don't think he will. If he comes mm -hmm. back, I hope that this will kind of change and people mm -hmm. will kind of realize there is a person and a face behind mm -hmm. this account and like a person who puts in a lot of work to making our lives easier as yeah. people who try to cover the games industry, I guess. So I've also noticed a lot of, um, I guess, written type platforms like Tumblr or Twitter um, have really bad monetization options. Twitter doesn't have a monetization. I mean, they have super followers, I think it's called. Oh. It's a weird I don't know I how haven't it works. Been on Twitter and so no. on. So good for you. <laughs> Thank Especially you. right now. Not to get into it, but it's I, fun. I know that Elon Musk became the CEO and then some shit went down and I have not followed it since. So Yeah. I'm I don't want to get into it here, but uh if you haven't been following it, it's pretty funny. I'm not gonna lie. Uh check it out. He's He's, he's just a silly goofy guy. Yeah. That's <laughs> he does silly goofy things sometimes on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pretty much give a huge, uh, pour a glass for Nibel, uh, round of applause. He's leaving. Good job for getting off Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Uh, hopefully your future endeavors will do you better, I guess. And yeah. I mean, if he was successful on Twitter, I'm certain that he can find success other places, whether mm -hmm. that be, you know, immediately afterwards or, uh, later afterwards. Yeah. But either way, you still have a good platform that you can actually, you know, get yeah. up on your soapbox and say stuff on. So, um, good for him. Yeah. It, this has been an overall positive experience for him. So, mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah, hopefully he can take the positives away. Not that, I mean, I bet there was decent, amount. I mean, it's Twitter. Twitter can mm -hmm. sometimes be the worst place. So yeah. hopefully he takes away the positives. Yeah. T Twitter is a cesspit. Yeah. I, I know because, um, I recently had to get back on Twitter because uh, the Karani oh, yeah. um, requires, or no, not requires, but like it highly suggests that you uh, start getting on Twitter because that's where a lot of journalists are. Mm -hmm. That's but, why I hopped on Twitter initially. Mm, oh, really? Because mm -hmm. nice. like that's where, like you said, that's where a lot of games industry people, I learned it was Twitter and LinkedIn. 
is where most of the games industry people are, <laughs> um, as well as gaming journalists. So I guess shout out to the game de- future game developers. Yeah, shout out to gaming journalism. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> be on Twitter and be on LinkedIn if you want to get the connections. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we'll <laughs> see how long Twitter, I mean, if Twitter is able to last at this point, we'll see. Oh, it's that bad. It's that bad. Oh, yeah. I did Anyways. not know that. <laughs> Uh, so that's going to conclude our news segment for today. And we're going to go on to our second section, which is just topic of the week. Um, we So the reason I have you on, Zach, yes. uh, for those who maybe don't follow uh, our social medias. We, which, why don't you? Exactly. You should. Well, what are you guys doing? Yeah, what are you I guys fact, doing? You know what? Five second moment of silence so you can go follow that. Yep. Nice job. Good job. Anyways. I love you. <laughs> So uh, if you missed it, we put out a sec- or a article on the newest issue of the Chronicle, which was the collab issue. Yes. Um, and we just kind of went through the top 10 Halloween kind of creepy games that we played during October. Mm-hmm. Or the cheapest, I should say. Yes, that was a big, the cheapest. That was important thing. Mm-hmm. The cheapest Halloween games that we played during October. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not going to go too much into that list in this podcast because we highly recommend you check out the actual written portion yes um but we i kind of want to go into what went through picking the lists that we made Mm -hmm. um as well as at to a certain extent like we specifically chose to do halloween instead of horror Mm -hmm. so i was curious at what point do you think games become horror because there's a lot of games out there that like have horror elements Mm -hmm. but aren't technically horror some kind of curious about that conversation so uh games with horror elements uh kind of like bioshock i would say uh are games that are centered centered around not really many horror mechanics but they do have horror-ish elements so for example um five nights at freddy's would be an entirely horror-based game which you would play during halloween because halloween Mm -hmm. is spooky month but uh if you're just like going through a game and it has like horrific undertones that's probably the best definition i can give for like a horror-ish game but not like super horrifying but then like horror in games i I know this is like super technical but horror in games is like one or two moments that just like jump scare you Mm -hmm. like um i'm gonna embarrass myself here but in super mario 64 there the was piano? yeah the piano okay yeah. <laughs> yes the, the piano gave made me uh shit myself as yeah. a, a little baby man i feel like it did that for a lot of people yes like they shouldn't that was so random <laughs> i'm gonna be honest why is it i don't know it got people really good though with the jump scare oh yeah, yeah. Uh, nintendo got them yeah nintendo did. did good job reggie you did it <laughs> yeah um yeah, no, I like how you kind of put that where, like, the whole game isn't necessarily horror, mm-hmm. but it can sometimes have horror elements. Because, like, a lo- I mean, of course, coming from a huge Last of Us fan, that's something that kind of interests me. Because, mm-hmm. for example, I had a friend who was watching me play through The Last of Us Part Two, mm-hmm. and he hates horror stuff. And after a certain point, it was, like, some sort of jump scare where, like, you're looting in a bathroom and a clicker jumps out at you or something. Uh. Um, he called it. He was like, look... I, we're not doing this. <laughs> Let's change the game or something. Mm. Um, so uh, games like that where they kind of are really intense 
but aren't focused on necessarily scaring you with like multiple kind of like the last of us definitely has a lot of scary moments and like the whole premise is pretty scary of like zombie apocalypse you're creeping around collecting Mm -hmm. stuff but i wouldn't call it a survival horror game yeah i wouldn't call it a survival horror it's more of like um a narrative thriller is the best way that i could put it because the it's kind of like the difference between a thriller and a horror movie that you see nowadays. Like a, the, a Quiet Place mm-hmm. is a thriller. But um, a horror movie would be like The Shining, which is supposed to actually try and encapsulate a feeling of dread. So that's what the entire narrative is based around, is that feeling of dread rather than like, I want to say the emotional core of A Quiet Place being a family surviving mm-hmm. or like a surviving an apocalyptic event. Yeah where it's more of the intensity around the situation instead of like, like you said, making the viewer feel dread. Like feel like I need to leave sort of deal. Where like, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like A Quiet Place definitely has like some moments where like jump scare or like, yeah, just the overall feeling of intensity. But you can like, at the end of the day, you're like, okay, maybe a couple of them will die. But like, Mm -hmm. there is like a satisfying conclusion. I feel like a lot of horror games, they might have a satisfying conclusion, but like, I don't know. Uh, the kind of journey isn't the most satisfying, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas a quiet place sort of thrillers, kind of do. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, like I mean, both mediums when you're talking about horror really want to try and leave sequels open, mm-hmm. uh, just because horror is really cheap to make, but also <laughs> extremely profitable. Mm. Like I want to say that the original Halloween uh, was made on, I want to say twenty or thirty grand. Oh, wow. And it made, uh, I want to say, an over 20,000% return. Mm-hmm. So extremely profitable. Yeah. A lot of like paranormal type stuff saw that was really cheap to make. But at the end of the day, um, it didn't sacrifice for like good story, mm-hmm. which is what I have a, re- a real gripe with with modern horror movies. Like I was about Smile, to say, yeah. Smile makes me mad. Really? <laughs> yeah, don't don't ask me about Smile because I will go on a tangent. And we're talking about video games, we're about not, video not games, movies. Yeah kind of ending off that conversation i feel like i don't know my ideal horror games are like the resident evil games sort of Mm. deal where like seven and eight which even eight has moments of being a thriller yes where like i don't remember what his name is but the whole like shootout part not Ethan Winters. When you play as the other guy. Oh, uh, Chris Redfield. Yes, Chris Redfield. Yes. That whole section is not horror at all. You're like no. a strapped out military guy <laughs> shooting down everything. It, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was. My man is mowing. Mowing. Down. Yeah. It completely <laughs> changed the entire game, changed it from a horror to, I guess, more of a thriller action game. So. But then again, the, the Resi franchise is just so nice mm-hmm. with that. Like, it, it strikes the perfect balance between absolutely fucking ridiculous <laughs> and just fun and also kind of scary like um my i think my favorite game that has come out or my favorite horror game in the past uh, few years that has come out is uh the resi 2 remake oh yes because uh, i mean mr x is just mm, so good in that game and all the sound design all the lighting really like helps the ambiance stay in a really quiet desolate place where it gets intense at at Mm -hmm. certain moments so it, it just allows the I guess the horror to really come out of you rather than the horror like telling you when to be scared yeah. and when to jump and when to piss your pants. So yeah, that's something um, I actually for this Halloween I played through Outlast uh, by your recommendation. Oh really? What do you uh, think? I way overhyped it for myself in that oh, I was no. like, "This is super scary," and then I went into it. And I'm like, "Oh, this actually isn't too bad." Uh, um, yeah. And I think the biggest thing of that was I don't know the big guy's name, like, but the big guy that chases I you around in Outlast. Remember. 
he's not too menacing. I'm like, Mr. X. If Mr. X shows up, I'm like mm-hmm. afraid. If this guy shows up, I'm like, crap, I got caught. He threw me across the room and now I just run off. Mm-hmm. And I can really easily outchase him. With Mr. X, something about like the sound design, like you said, mm-hmm. of the footsteps and like he's sh- shooting off face. his hat and stuff of Mr. X. I did that the first time I played. I didn't know what I was doing. I pulled out my gun and shot and I shot off his hat and I did not know that's not the thing you do and he got so mad. <laughs> he, he's a little peeved. He just gets a little peeved and yeah. fast. <laughs> fast. <laughs> a little, really fast actually. Yeah. yeah. But I just like those like little touchy mechanics that like add an extra sense of dread or like indomitability is a good mm-hmm. word for that yeah. is where like you don't feel like you can stop it but you have to get away anyway. Yeah, Mr. X does a good job of that because like mm-hmm. there are so many moments where you're like, okay. And same with uh, Jack from Resident Evil 7, mm-hmm. where there are so many moments where you were like, okay, we're good. I got him. And then the truck explodes back. and you're like, okay, there's no way. And yeah, he's back. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that does a great job of like, oh, there's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. I just need to run. <laughs> yeah. But like with Outlast, like you don't really have many weapons that you can use to fight back. So you don't actually have the ability to try and fight back, which doesn't really send that much of a shiver down my spine mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. Because when you have the ability to fight back, you can see the response immediately to them and be like, oh shit, I need to go. Yeah. But uh, with Outlast, it's more just, oh no, I have to run or else yeah. the man will get me. <laughs> yeah, I feel... Outlast does a good job of with the camera specifically. I feel like that's a really cool mm-hmm. mechanic of like yes. your sight being on a timer and mm-hmm. like adding that intensity. I maybe they do this better in like the sequel. I know that's a thing. I don't I've, know. I haven't played the sequel personally. Okay. But, I'll and get to it. I uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. I only played like the first. I want to say hour or two of Outlast. It's okay. just that I yeah. was so scared that I did not want to keep okay. playing. I was like, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. No, I'm I understand. It gets really freaky. Like mm-hmm. what, playing through Outlast, I feel like the first, like the beginning of it mm-hmm. is really good about like you are in this place. You don't know what's happening. There's, th- There was one encounter in the beginning where you're not sure what who was bad, like what's going to attack you. Mm-hmm. And there's a section where you have to walk through like a um, walk in front of a bunch of people and mm-hmm. every other horror game tells you they if they see you they're gonna attack mm-hmm. in this case they don't they're like insane and they don't know what's happening mm-hmm. and it really sets a good precedent for the game of like there are moments where you are surrounded by these people and you don't know when they're gonna attack or if they're mm-hmm. gonna attack at all and it does a good job i feel like once the mm-hmm. big bad guy gets and you're like, oh, this isn't as fun. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, okay, is. now I don't have anything to dread anymore. Yeah. It's, I, I know where he is. So that, that's kind of yeah. And that's kind of sad. Maybe it changes. I'm playing a normal difficulty. Maybe mm. it changes if you get like higher up difficulty and he can one-shot you maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but he can just do like a little yeah. type of thing. I don't know. Um, So yeah, Resident Evil is gold Prime. standard. Yes. <laughs> Stick with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to kind of go on to our second topic of kind of what we did when we were deciding the games, mm-hmm. I'm curious kind of your thought process. So I don't really play very many horror games because I'm a little uh, bitch bubble blowing baby personally yeah, when it comes to horror. So I try to avoid horror at all costs, um, except for movies. For some reason, I can do movies so really well. That makes sense because mm-hmm. it takes up the interactive Yes. Um, I've heard like there's this whole study that GameSpot has been doing over the past couple of weeks in short little video essays about 
the difference between like uh, horror video games and specifically, I think one of their episodes was why the interactive element of it is so interesting and why it makes it so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, yeah, it's because it, like it puts you right in the middle of the situation. You're like, you have to solve the problems. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not you witnessing. Oh no, how is Farmer Joe gonna solve the problem? I don't know. Yeah. It's it's more like, oh, how am I gonna do this with what the tools that I have right now? Like, oh my God, he's coming. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I shot off his hat. This is terrible. We're about to die, type yeah. of thing, where it just it adds a whole another layer of dread to it. Because I mean, it's one thing to have like the empathy to like feel a, the dread for another person with like, you know, Michael Myers sitting over your shoulder and you're like, oh no, he's going to get him. <laughs> yeah. But it's a whole different thing when he's over your shoulder. Yeah. And he's going to kill you. Yeah, he's like, going to get you. Yeah. Even though you like know it's just a video game, mm-hmm. something about that like, oh, I need to like get away from this. So I was trying to think of games that I have played A mm-hmm. and B, games that you would expect to be kind of, you know, lighthearted and fun, or at least the ones that you've seen kind of like circulating the internet, especially in like certain corners, like Five Nights at Freddy's, yeah, if yeah, yeah. Doki Doki. Yeah. Uh, but so I was trying to like, I guess, capitalize on that because people would be like, oh, that's, I, I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also it's well known for a reason. Like a lot of people know of Doki Doki Literature Club, but they have never actually experienced it themselves. Yeah, actually, um, the other day, I think PR, uh, who's also on Geek Wave, he came up to me and was like, hey, what's up with it? Like, you put Doki Doki on this club and I've heard about it as like an anime dating scene. Yeah, Why yeah. did you put it up there? And I'm like, oh boy, let me tell you. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Wait, did you watch uh, like a playthrough of Doki Doki afterwards? I did, afterwards? yeah, because so. I didn't like have a good PC. I, so I haven't played it. I just mm-hmm. watched someone because I didn't have a good PC and I think it's only at the time it was yeah, only, only a PC, PC. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it was Etika's uh, playthrough. Oh, and really? He, he's just a great guy. Rest mm-hmm. in peace, Etika. Rip Etika. Um, yeah that's a game (laughs) no it it is a game and it's best to just not know anything about it and Mm -hmm. experience it for yourself i would um also recommend watching a playthrough Mm -hmm. of doki doki because experiencing it with another person or at least seeing somebody's reaction to it really heightens your own Mm -hmm. however playing it playing through by yourself is also probably one of the most harrowing experiences because a lot of the horror elements that happen in it are directed towards the player. Mm-hmm. So if you understand what is about to happen and you understand that it it knows your name, <laughs> it makes it scary. Yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of, my own thing, I did the same sort of thing um, mm-hmm. where I was like, what? First of all, like I went through Game Pass first because mm-hmm. these are cheap games and Game Pass. Is- for those that I'm surprised how many people actually don't know about this in the games industry, so I'll kind of shout it out. Mm-hmm. Xbox has been doing for the past couple of years this deal where it's about ten or fifteen dollars a month for over a hundred different games mm-hmm. um, that you can play on PC, Xbox, X Cloud on your phone, um, and they're like I said, over a hundred games. So if you want to broaden your gaming kind of knowledge make sure to hop in on that that's kind of where a lot of my gaming knowledge came in actually was Mm -hmm. just trying out as many games as i can whether it is the small indie ones that they have on there or the giant forza horizon fives Mm -hmm. um so make sure to if you're interested especially for future game developers these are great like hopping in all these games is a great way to get kind of ideas and knowledge about games in general 
Mm -hmm. um as a uh, previous xbox gamer i can say it is yeah. superb <laughs> please capitalize on it while you can sure. especially in this economy <laughs> i mean 15 dollars is like a lunch from here now so I'm yeah like, do i spend 15 dollars <laughs> for like a lunch today or 15 dollars on hundreds of different games yeah so yeah both food for your mind and body there actually you. actually i would say that video games are more decadent for your body but yeah, we don't have to. We don't have to go into. Yeah, that. We, yeah, we don't need to go into that. You can forget about that. Yeah, my fat bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I went through that kind of list. Um, and picked out some of my favorites that I've played, as well as a new one. Um, that I feel kind of des deserved a shout out. Um, which I guess you'll kind of see when you read it if you read it. Um. And then once I kind of found a good couple of those, I've hopped over and wanted to see couple games under $15 that I personally also enjoy that I wanted to shout out. Um, mm -hmm. I believe at the time I wanted to shout out Little Nightmares, but I don't think we ever did. I don't even know what that is. I, I, I don't a, think that you ever brought one. it up to me. Well, um, maybe I didn't because it ended up being like 25 was yeah. the problem. Anyways, yeah, Little Nightmares is a great horror game. Uh, it's a little bit more expensive, but yeah, I kind of we kind of did that sort of list. Mm -hmm. um you also had a great pick that was like a three dollar one i'm curious we'll spoil it nightmare of decay yeah nightmare yeah. of decay when you popped that up i was like okay damn this guy knows his shit <laughs> um where did you get that full from oh so um markiplier actually I, okay yeah I yeah you, you can figure <laughs> well He's... i searched it up and the first thing was markiplier's mm -hmm. playthrough i was like okay no yeah. i'm a huge markiplier fan gotcha. so uh, i like watching him play games rather than actually watch games myself and that's how I get a lot of my game recommendations, actually, is I just watch a really, I guess, similarly minded network of gamers that I enjoy watching as well as uh, I usually enjoy the games that they play as well. Mm -hmm. Like um, a lot of Markiplier's playthroughs of like all the Five Nights at Freddy's right, franchi yeah. franchise, um, Poppy Playtime, um, a lot of like the one off horror games that he does and like his three scary games type of stuff. Mm. I've go out and seek myself and i try to play it where i can because i want to support the developers because it entertained me yeah you know and i really liked his playthrough of nightmare of decay not just because of the you know the usual markiplier yeah stuff, the usual yeah. markiplierisms that are in his videos but i also really enjoyed the game mm -hmm. i was like oh this is really niche but also really neat at the same time mm -hmm. and there's a lot of content here that you can kind of sift through it's kind of cheesy but i also kind of like it like all horror stuff i feel like is borderline cheesy but oh, yeah. also like you know gonna scare the shit out of you oh, yeah. deal, so. the only one that i can think of that isn't cheesy is outlast mm -hmm. like that is just legitimate terror yeah the entire time <laughs> or maybe it was just because i was in fight or flight mode when i was playing it yeah. either way we're chilling <laughs> but that is definitely where i get a lot of my recommendations for games um just because I, they, they've become so Influences have become such a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. But surprisingly enough, not all the games on there I found through influencers. Like, for example, Bioshock. I found it in a bargain bin at a GameStop. That's actually awesome to hear. Yes. Uh, so let's kind of transition over that. The last, I think it was the last game that we had on our list was Bioshock. No, I think it was Outlast. Oh, it was Outlast. Bioshock. Yes. Okay, well, anyways, <laughs> Bioshock last, was one that we had on our list, and... When you were kind of going into why we should put it on our list, I could tell you cared a lot about it. Yes, I did. And as Maya like, kind of called me out on it, I was immediately like, 
hey, uh, so I got this podcast where we do a deep dive into <laughs> games. Uh, would you like to hop on? And, and I was like, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like you were able to keep your thoughts brief in the article, mm-hmm. but now full out uh, deep dive. Why did you want to put this on the list and what makes it like your favorite basically game? Okay. Bioshock as a game is about a city named Rapture created by um, a really crazy scientist slash mogul, Andrew Ryan, to escape the conventions of like capitalist, communist, and I guess Judeo-Christian values in order to only progress science and only get profit type of thing. It's basically capitalism at its most unregulated. Think your libertarian uncle if he started a city. Like basically that. <laughs> that actually really works out. Yeah. For me at least. But um, everything has gone so awry down there that everybody has kind of forgot about Rapture. Um, it Basically Rapture was constructed under uh, the, I want to say the Pacific Ocean. And you play as some no-name protagonist that is eventually revealed the name, but it's best to oh. know that you don't know the name. Interesting. I, I didn't know the character, the protagonist actually. Mattered. no That's it, cool it did hear. in this game That's but cool it's super cool but um you learn as you go along more about rapture and its descent into both decadence and madness um in all in like this 50s art deco type style and it's just mm, mm, <laughs> beautiful nice. chef's kiss my favorite so this is something that you need to know about me i am a writer first and foremost when it comes to games uh any type of media that I consume, whether it, it be like books, plays, movies, TV shows, games, I am narrative first. That is 100% something that I care about the most. And Bioshock does it excellently. Probably my favorite characters in fiction like ever have come from Bioshock, just because they have such intricate backstories. Uh, the backdrop from it is so interesting and it allows for a lot of moral complexity mm-hmm. is that you don't really know what the characters are going to do or what their real intentions are. Like, for example, the main antagonist of Bioshock, uh, Andrew Ryan, he um, he's probably one of the most complex characters in the game, even though mm-hmm. there's quite a lot. Because you assume that he is just like, you know, a scummy businessman that runs this underground city that w- wants to like you know, be capitalistic and the dangers of capitalism (laughs) or like unregulated capitalism, I should say. But the more that you look into it, you see his own flaws um, start to stick out and how self-aware he is of his own flaws, like his own paranoia and how he understands business and not really people. And he he kind of, it it humanizes him to a point where you actually understand his motives for rapture just because he was slighted in a past business deal. Like it takes us a once like on the surface psychotic character and really just takes him down to earth. And that happens with every single character in the game, including the boss fights. So like there's a insane doctor there that is completely obsessed with beauty, but you understand his obsession with beauty because of his backstory. I'm not going to spoil it because it's a really fascinating one that you should go see yourself and play it. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting. Um, another thing that I really appreciate about Real Bioshock. Quick. Oh, sorry. Uh, so about that, <laughs> no, you're good. About the con- character complexity, I'm curious, is that told just through like cutscenes and through like the encounters or is that like told through little snippets that like the, uh, I don't know what they're called, but like collectibles that you'll find, you mm-hmm. kind of read through them, kind of that sort of storytelling? 
So I was actually going to get to that oh, pr- pretty sorry. soon after. No, I'm glad okay. that you brought that up, though, uh, because Bioshock was one of the first games that uh, involved uh, getting an audio log. Oh. So um, the voice acting is superb in this game. So you have a lot of opportunity to see what people were thinking in character. And you get to hear the timbre of their voice. You get to hear what they were like expressing to themselves. Like there's this character in the game. I, it's been a while since I played Bioshock, but um, I, it's a woman character that created the, the little sisters. Oh, okay. And she feels remorse for what she did. So she feels responsible for the little sisters and their well-being. So they, she basically created the big daddies to protect them it, oh. until she can find a cure okay. for it. And she's a recurring character throughout the game that, it actually determines the ending that you get because there's multiple endings in the game. I did not know that. It's interesting. I really need to play this game. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. If I, if really I if, but uh, Bioshock was probably one of the first games. I think it came out in 2007 that did that type of audio log format where you could you know collect something and then play it in game. So as you were like going around shooting crazy people in Rapture, you could also hear Andrew Ryan talk about his faulty business deal that he had at the end of the 50s. Wow. So you're, you kind of just um, get to, I guess, learn as you go. Whereas other um, games with really in-depth lore, like The Witcher or Skyrim, you really have to go out of your way to experience the lore, whereas mm-hmm. this is perfectly fine teaching you as you go. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like I, when I think of audio logs nowadays, mm-hmm. I think of the ones from like Horizon, for example, where mm. you'll be exploring like some of the old ruins and you find mm. an audio log and you press play. And then if you try walking away, it'll get quieter and quieter. And, quieter. Oh, and like, so that's not what you like. You want to be, you know, it, um, stim- what was it like stimulating? Yeah, ADHD, ADHD brain. stimulated. Yeah. And you want to be shooting the people, but being able to hear that sort of like, oh, so that's why this character did this and stuff. That is, to- I'm, really happy to hear that it does that because mm-hmm. despite being a dark souls fan i am also not the best about reading the things either mm-hmm. i'll like collect them and i'll get halfway through and it's one of those things where i'm like oh i'm reading but i'm not comprehending mm-hmm. um so the idea of like listening to it while also being able to play the game is mm-hmm. actually really smart <laughs> it's a lot of them are also very well placed mm-hmm. so as you're going through to like the next boss arena or something like that you get a bunch of uh, audio logs leading up to it mm-hmm. and showing their descent into madness. So I'm curious, you know, we've we've kind of talked about the story and how that all works with the audio logs and stuff like that. You mentioned how there's a decent amount of boss fights in mm-hmm. this game. So I'm curious how like the gameplay works out with those boss fights and kind of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like what's that sort of appeal? You know, there's not much of an appeal with boss fights. That's the okay. one thing that I would critique Bioshock on is that it basically feels just like, oh, it's a harder enemy, but it just mm-hmm. throws bombs this time instead of throws ice things. And you just have to shoot the enemy until they're dead instead of just, you know, try and use like environmental tactics to kill somebody. Or um, I want to say like your special powers that you have yeah, um, to kill somebody, which makes it more interesting uh, if you do that, but it just, it just straight up doesn't. So that's hmm. fun. That kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the past couple of years, we've gotten better at the kind of making boss fights unique in first-person shooters because it is really easy mm-hmm. to just be like, this enemy has a sh- bigger um, a bigger health bar and you yes. just need to shoot over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested if like if they do another Bioshock, if that's something that they 
put a big emphasis on. They have done two. They've. I know it's a trilogy. But oh I mean, yes, you're talking about like a Bioshock in Rapture. Yes. Okay. Sort of deal. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, that'd hopefully be something that they can fix, unless they mm-hmm. improved upon that in the rest of the series. But I'm not sure. They. D- you know, I didn't play two because okay. nobody did. Really? <laughs> yeah, nobody played two. Huh. Did um, you play Infinite? I played Infinite, yes. Okay. And that was an incredible game. Not as good as the first. Okay. Um, I've heard like controversial takes on Infinite, so mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, but it does have a lot better use of like the, the vertical Z axis because a lot of like early first person shooters, especially trying to like understand the genre, only have the X and Y mm-hmm. where you're just kind of like moving around to this flat piece of land and trying to escape it. Whereas like just because um, Bioshock uh, Infinite takes place in uh, a sky city, there's a lot of verticality to it. So you're always jumping, you're always going from platform to platform, you're always going up or down. Like it really feels like this very complex stage that you're constantly trying to zoom past, kind of like a Doom Eternal type of okay. thing. So. Not exactly as to do with Doom Eternal. Doom Eternal yeah. is an entirely different beast. But yeah, it, it doesn't make very good use of that. So if, if they could have improved upon that in the remake, that would have been super. Is it a remake or a remaster? Of, uh, of Bio- Bioshock. Of Bioshock. Uh, Bioshock does have a remake. Oh, okay. Um, it just, no, actually, it's a remaster. Sorry. Oh no, you're good. I had I had to remember there, the definitions. It's very weird the definitions. I think we went into this in a previous episode, but like mm-hmm. they need to work on that better. They really do. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, when I when we were kind of talking about putting Bioshock on the list, one thing that I was surprised to hear you say was like, "Don't do the remaster," because mm-hmm. I think I've I actually purchased probably the remaster oh, before God. this, <laughs> and I'm curious now. I'm like, oh, I I maybe want to not try that out so i'm curious like why why not well so first of all um bioshock was an exclusive on the xbox 360 back in the day so there is a port that is still very um i guess close to the xbox 360 port of it that you can play on both series x and xbox one Mm -hmm. that doesn't have nearly the amount of issues that the remasters do okay um but the remasters I, they must have like messed up the the source code or yeah. like the, just some sort of code because there are constant graphical glitches like Weird. not just like regular graphical glitches but like game breaking ones wow so you'll just be like looking at like a puddle or something like that and all of a sudden just like big black squares go all over the puddle and then shortly afterwards your your frame starts stuttering and then boom you're done wow that yeah. sucks <laughs> yeah no it's bad dang Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, like, do you have you heard of like patches making like have they have they tried to go back? And obviously, mm-hmm. we are in a different state nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Cyberpunk patching and making the broken game actually playable now. Have they done a similar thing with Bioshock? I know that was back in the a little bit back in the day. But yeah, like 2016. Um, yeah, I'm not aware because I bought that remaster back in like 2016. So I okay. just I just knew what to avoid and what not yeah. because I. I bought it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, they must have. I mean, any good uh, games developing company would probably have that. Yeah. But I'm not entirely sure. I mean, with like the research that I've kind of done, it seems like that's the case where like the biggest improvement is a sort of 60 frames per second mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, the actual graphics and the perform or the visual aspect of it decreased. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not checked if like 
specific patches or stuff might have rolled around. Like I said, we're in a different mm-hmm. state of games nowadays than back in 2016, which mm-hmm. that's like only six years ago, and that's crazy to think about. Yeah, that is weird. Um, but I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully, what we're saying is kind of out of date, and maybe they've put in the patches, but I highly mm-hmm. doubt it. Yeah, I highly doubt it because if they would have done the remaster like that, like the game feels a lot better on the remaster. They definitely updated to make it feel like a modern first-person shooter. Okay. Um, just because there's a lot of 2007-isms on the original Bioshock that's kind of hard to get into for modern audiences, especially if you're more into like the action-based um, like team shooters nowadays, like Overwatch that just came out. Yeah. like It's really hard if you're used to that type of gameplay that's like constant ADHD brain stimulus. Yeah, for sure. But it's... I would really hope they did because gotcha. I love the game franchise. So I'm curious... Um, Last week, we went on a deep dive about Elden Ring, and one of the aspects that we mentioned was this whole um, push to spread it out to different entertainments, such as TV, movies, media. I believe we already have a Bioshock movie in development. Oh, really? Yes. So I'm curious, do you kind of have any thoughts or like how they want to go about that or like, Hmm. I don't know, any expectations for the future of the series, whether it is the movie or like, if they go back and do a fourth game or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I would really like to see a game. I know that they probably dropped us into the most interesting time period of Rapture, but I would really like to see like a Rapture that was actually in its prime. Hmm. And I want to see the slow decaying process of Rapture as it slowly becomes more and more corrupt, crazy, and drug addicted. So I I feel like that would be an interesting series to do, but I feel like with a Bioshock movie, the way that the game is set up right now is it can only really be a game. That's what I've heard. mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you wanted to try and adapt it to a not game, then that would be kind of difficult just because it's best when you... hmm. The twist in it, I'm not going to spoil it because I want you to go play it. And oh, it's, it's fun. I, yes, for sure. Um, only really works if you are the player playing the game. If they were trying to pull that twist off in like a movie, it would be extremely trite. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, I saw that coming from a mile away. Gotcha. Especially the way that they present it. Okay. So if they were trying to make a one-for-one re- recreation of Bioshock, no. Yeah. It, it can't do that. But if they wanted to use the same world for like a TV series or I don't know, like a, a mini series, I think would probably be the best for it just because there's a lot of content to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, it would work. Okay. Mm-hmm. So movie, not necessarily because like it's hard to try to have that twist, like you said, in only two hours. But if you gave it time to build up mm-hmm. in a TV show or a mini series, that would work. No, it's not about the the build. Oh, okay. No, it's um, it's about the twist itself. Only makes sense and also messes with your head if you're playing it as a game. If you're in the world and you're seeing, okay. Mm-hmm. If you're pl- if you're legitimately experiencing the world and you have no prior knowledge of the world before it, yeah. Like that's, but if you see a character interacting with it instead of you interacting with it, it doesn't make sense. Gotcha. So. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if the movie is a direct like recreation of the story or if it's just in that world mm-hmm. um 
but I'm interested. I'm very sold on the game now. Not gonna lie, like oh, you've really? done a really good job. Oh, hopefully, I mean, I own. I want to say I own it on multiple places now because mm-hmm. it's like it's on sale all I, the time. All the time. Like, <laughs> I think I got the whole thing for three dollars on Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, I just haven't gotten around to playing it. I've actually heard the way. Switch port is pretty okay. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. It's it's just like the Xbox and PlayStation ports that are kind of cringe. Oh, but. okay. Well, then I chose the right thing. Yes, you did. <laughs> Inadvertently. Good so good job. Um, yeah. So do you kind of have any final thoughts on Bioshock or anything like that? In conclusion, 2K, um, do better. Okay. <laughs> D- just like... I uh, forgot it was 2K. Yeah, it was 2K. I knew it was EA, like, because EA owns 2K, I believe. I don't know. I don't know if they did at the time. But yeah, I don't think yeah. that they did it. I okay. think it was like some Australian company that owned it at the time. Yeah. But 2K um, is the same company that made um, Borderlands. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm, yeah, Bio, or Borderlands is pretty good series. Yeah, Border- mm-hmm. Borderlands 2 is much better than 3. And But I do like some of the spinoffs occasionally. They're, they're just mildly entertaining, not mm-hmm. like, oh, I love it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I hopped into Borderlands 2, and I realized afterwards I did not play the game correctly. Where oh. I didn't change my guns because I was like, oh, I like the gun that I have now. And so I would go into boss fights severely under level. Oh, God. Um, I changed that with Borderlands 3. So I had a much better experience, not to mention the gameplay, I feel like is a lot better. Yeah. But yeah, the story and the writing is just, I feel like that, that was probably a podcast game for me. I don't remember if I played it with a podcast, but I feel like mm-hmm. so much of the writing was just like, I don't feel like this is entertaining. Mm -hmm. Like the gameplay is perfect ADHD stimulus, just Mm -hmm. shooting the bad guys, big glowy things, big glowy things, making all my abilities pair well together and like getting builds. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully, I feel like 2K is really because, you know, 2K, I believe, are this. No, I was going to say the same people that do NBA 2K, but that's just 2K as in 2012. Yes. That is. I um, get that confused a lot. Yeah. A lot of people do. It's just that like, Somebody that is a diehard fan of one of their series is just like, no, it's yes. not. <laughs> Shut up. But I don't know. I think up. they just put out a new Tales of the Borderlands with the same writers as Borderlands 3, which was just okay. Like sevens mm-hmm. out of tens, ten all around. <laughs> um, I don't know what else they've kind of got planned. I feel like they've kind of really dropped off ever since they finished mm-hmm. off Bioshock. Yeah. I don't know. No, I agree. Like there's been no really good narrative shooters that they've been pumping out. So... Mm-hmm. Do better. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we get like a Bioshock 4 or something. That'd be sick. I, I would actually like, really like to see that. Yeah, I'm not sure. However, I would also really like to see what they could do. Um, hmm. I would really like to see what they could do with um, the 50 settings that they were going for um, in like an apocalyptic scenario, kind of like a Fallout, but like in a Bioshock world. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because um, one of the main things that Bioshock Infinite did is that it remixed it, and instead of like being a land in the water, it's a land in the sky. That's what I heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was really cool, and it worked extremely well. And I would like to see what other place, what other land in the the blank that they can do, yeah. like maybe land in space. Yeah, that would be interesting. Like a retro futuristic thing of that. If they, I mean, similar to how, kind of how Bethesda who did fallout are now doing fallout in space bioshock in space i can see yes that. dude the in space genre is my favorite yeah indie b movie thing <laughs> yes. so real quick i will let you know um i should have done research on this beforehand 
but 2K did form a new studio to work on Bioshock 4. This was <gasps> sometime in like 2019 that I think they unveiled it. So it might be in development hell or just pushing through. I'm not sure. Like COVID or something, probably. COVID was a thing. Yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Bioshock 4 emerged in 2019, just long enough for 2K to confirm its development. And then it disappeared. We haven't heard about it since, but they've announced like it's still in development, just going through COVID stuff, probably. Gotcha. Like, we're I think Phil Spencer literally said a couple, maybe weeks ago, like we're still feeling the effects of COVID in the games industry. Mm -hmm. And 2023, as we can already see, I think February already has like eight big games that are coming out. Mm -hmm. Like 2023 is going to be really unfortunate for my wallet because <laughs> everything from quarantine is like everything that got pushed back is now kind of building up and is going to explode in 2023 at least is my idea of it because we already have so many like possible things so mm -hmm. we'll see what actually ends i'm up kind happening. of excited to see that yeah mm -hmm. so i don't know hopefully we get some news about that soon and they didn't cancel it without anyone knowing because that's also a thing that happens in the games industry. That would make me sad because you got my hopes up. Oh, and this was only two weeks ago. Oh, okay. okay that's so that's, that's good. actually good. nice. Whew. We're good. Yeah. Um, my hopes are not shattered. And my will to live is also restored. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I feel like that's pretty much it. I definitely need to go play Bioshock now. Please. Like, for sure. Please text me about it I when will. you do for sure um so yeah thanks everybody for listening uh once again if you'd like to be on the podcast uh make sure to email me at j.day at usunamina.com or check out uh, our discord he's um, not scary yeah. probably i'm just, I'm just <laughs> i probably shouldn't do that yeah i'm a very sweet guy what are you talking about yeah he, he's just a goofy gaffer just a goofy guy. That i like talking about games yeah he likes gaming yeah so, uh, yeah, feel free to leave a review, comment, subscribe. Thanks for sticking the whole podcast and listening to us talk for like an hour. That's awesome. Um, for next time, uh, our next guest is going to be Daniel from the University of Utah, who is a film student who actually works with me on campus at Digital Learning Technologies. That's at the Faculty Center uh, of the library. So, hey, if you want to come by, I guess, come by. I'm just going to be sitting on the desk. I don't know. No, not doing my work that's fine <laughs> anyways uh he spent a lot of time on modern warfare 2 both the campaign and the multiplayer so we're going to talk about that and then by that point i'll have played i hope i don't think i'll finish god of war ragnarok but i'll have played most of it um so i'll be able to share my thoughts about that and then the following episode i have a pretty good list of people who Hopefully we'll have finished God of War Ragnarok and we'll be able to do a full thoughts about it, spoiler cast, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's going to be exciting. So yeah. I will definitely tune into that episode awesome. because even before the show, even before we started recording, you were just like, God of War Ragnarok. It's I all in my mind. <laughs> I mean, the amount of times that I've checked Amazon to be like, hey, it's shipped, right? Like it's shipped. <laughs> it's shipped this morning. So I'm good. I'll get it tomorrow. Uh, only fail a couple of my classes in the meantime but it's fine you know valid, that's what so yeah thanks everybody and we will see you guys next time thank you for having me yeah for sure thanks for coming on bye bye, bye, -bye.